welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. If you have a Bible, Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning, I've been tasked with covering Nehemiah 5 and 6 in our series. Um. I don't know about you, but I've been reading Nehemiah in my daily Bible reading and uh, to be and going over a number of the chapters. And it's noteworthy that in the book of Nehemiah or the story of Nehemiah, many of the principles of Christian faith are contained there. I was thinking about God's grace and unmerited favor, undeserved and miraculous help for his people, the calling to trust God in the face of um, overwhelming odds as they had to build believing God for his protection, his provision and wisdom. God's call to be in part, a part of uh, his plans, a, a determination to do the will of God. And the fruit of those things or the fruit of relationship with, of God is also evident. If you haven't been reading, I encourage you to read through the whole book of Nehemiah over this period of time because the fruits of relationship are there because Nehemiah demonstrated a love for God and a love for people. He demonstrated generosity. He demonstrated discernment as God gave him discernment, willingness to persevere in the face of opposition. You and I need to be willing to do that. Walking in obedience. Nehemiah was an obedient servant of God. It's, it challenges me as I read that, just how he stood up and was counted at the right time for his nation and for his people. Nehemiah was an interesting man because he wasn't called to preach, prophesy, or even be a king. He was called to build a wall. And he did that. Reading through chapter 3, um, uh, just this last week, I saw the measure of success. And the words that stuck out to me were, and the people rose up. And they began to build en masse. They united together. Nehemiah was able to unite the people for a purpose. And when Pastor Josh gets on uh, either live to us when he's here or when he gets on the video and he begins to speak about uniting us and, and us heading in a particular direction, he's setting a course that he believes is God-ordained God and God-given for us to be going on as the eldership and the leadership team have, 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 have agreed to. And he, this is just like Nehemiah. But even in chapter 3, there was threats of attacks. They had a lot of rubbish to move because it had become desolate. Chapter 4 moves into Nehemiah leading them in prayer, leading them in words of faith and leading them by example. It says the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. I thought about that. It's one hand to build and one hand to defend. It inspired me, and I want to call my sermon this morning, Building and Battling. Chapter 5 is different, but. Chapter 5, the work stops temporarily. There's no building during this time, so read with me if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah 5, verses 1 through to 5. I'm reading from the King James, New King James Version. It says, And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. For, uh, for, the, for there were those who said, We, our sons, 
our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is, is it not in our power to redeem them? For, all, for other men have our lands and vineyards and Nehemiah says in verse 6, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I want to talk to you firstly about the battle within. There is a battle happening inside the gates. There is a struggle happening inside the wall of Jerusalem. And the reason is simple. The people had, had many external problems with tribes and people, but now they have inside battles. I read this week, it said, in a church quarrel, the devil remains neutral, but he does supply the ammunition for both sides. You know, history is littered with stories of some good churches and moves of God that today are no more. Ruined by infighting and conflict. In Acts chapter 6, the New Testament church was not immune to this. And we read in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, it says, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. It's not uncommon for there to be a bit of strife amongst the brethren. It's not uncommon, it's not desirable, it's not God's will, it's not God's perfect plan, it's not what we want to happen, but in our text there is unrest in the camp. We've read already, if you've been following, that in the previous chapters there's a couple of serial pests that have been rising up and giving trouble on the outside, but not only do they have trouble on the outside, they have trouble on the inside. And understanding this, we come to uh, understanding the local situation helps us put everything in context. The first thing I point out to you is there was famine. There was famine and poverty. They had no food and, no, and they had great difficulty in buying food. They had taxation issues. The king of Persia had given provision for the rebuilding of the process, uh, for the rebuilding process, but he was endeavoring to get his money back, so he lifted the taxes on everybody that was there. The first returning exiles from uh, Persia came back to Jerusalem so over 90 years earlier than, than when um, Nehemiah came there. So there hasn't been much happening. There's been a lot of um, uh, argy-bargy happening. Uh, the first ones came back in 538 BC. We're talking about 455 roughly at this time uh, BC in our text. And so there's been a, a whole history of trouble. Some people have risen up and some actually have become rich at the expense of their brothers. They're charging high interest rates on their brothers who are needing to, they're borrowing from their brothers and sisters in Christ and they're charging them high interest rates. The reason these people are borrowing is they're impoverished, they've got high taxes and there's a famine. 
The Bible uses a word in the Old King James, the word usury. It's an unusual word, but it means the action or practice of lending money at an unreasonably high rate of interest. It was the rich Jewish people charging exorbitant interest rates on their fellow fellow Jews. This was in direct contravention to the law of Moses, which, by the way, was a a, a template for governance. In Exodus chapter 22 and verse 25, it says, If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as moneylenders would. In Deuteronomy 23, 19 and 20, it says, Do not charge interest on loans you make to your fellow Israelite, whether you will loan money or food or anything else. You may charge interest to foreigners, but you may not charge interest to Israelites, so the Lord God may bless you. God told his people, don't do this. But in direct contravention, they did. They were allowed to charge interest to foreigners, but not to their own people. God said also that if people have to work to pay off their debt, don't make them slaves. Leviticus 25.39, if, if one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. Yet... The people complained because their children and their daughters, especially their daughters, had become slaves. Nehemiah says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. Not angry because the people were complaining, but angry because of the oppression. This is a wonderful thing about Nehemiah as he showed that he was emotionally connected to the people of Israel and his God. In Nehemiah 5, 8, and, it said, and, he, and he said, And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then listen to this. Then there was silence and, uh, uh, sorry, then they were silent and found nothing to say. He was able to silence these people who had been oppressing their brethren and he was starting to unify the people once again. A fourth reason there was trouble inside the gates is there was also been a problem with overbearing leadership. This overbearing leadership in verse 7 says, and, and thinking it over, he thought it over. He said, I spoke against these nobles and officials. Verse 15, the former governors in contrast contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. So there was trouble in the camp. There wasn't a real good leadership for the last 90 years. And now Nehemiah becomes aware of it. And in total contrast to their leadership, he shows real leadership. Firstly, he gets righteously angry. You know, it's okay to get upset sometimes about things that are oppressive, that are unfair. Verse 7, he calls a public meeting. I love this. He says, let's get this all out in the open. Stop the work. Come and let's talk about this. Let's deal with the issue. And he has a public meeting and he says, we're going to get right the wrongs. He publicly acknowledges the problem. He's open and accountable. And then he sets an example himself. Verse 16, I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. 
and I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table. He set the example. Verse 18, the provision I, uh, provisions I paid for each day included one ox. And he, he details them. And he says, yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried heavy burdens. Here's good leadership. Here's leadership setting the example. Verse 5. Uh, sorry, uh, number five, the fifth reason they had trouble behind, uh, behind the walls is there were alien allegiances. There were spies in the camp. Verse 17, during those 52 days, many letters were sent, uh, were, went back and forth from Tobiah to the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance. Sorry, this is Nehemiah 6, verse 17 had sworn allegiance to him because of intermarriage, basically. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds. Then they told him everything I said, and Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. Even into chapter 6, even after he's done things right, even as he set an example, he's still got trouble in the camp because he's got spies. Because of intermarriage. And you and I read in the Old Testament about why God said don't intermarry with these guys. He said because this stuff could happen. I tell everyone, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. They think I'm, I'm Old Testament Christian. No, I'm saying that it's not good for you to shake up or be with somebody that's not a believer. Good on you, Gaz. <laughs> Nehemiah 6.10 says, Later I went to visit Shemiah, the son of Delilah. And then in verse 12 he says, And I realized that God had not spoken to him, but he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. There's trouble behind the wall. Can I tell you, there's always going to be someone that doesn't like the color of the walls in church. There's always going to be someone who doesn't like something about what I say or Pastor Josh says or somebody, or the way we sang that song this morning. It wasn't the normal way we sang that song. There's always somebody who's got, there's, there's always a little bit of angst inside the church. You know what I'm saying? We're all on a different journey and we're all different shapes, sizes, and colors. Hallelujah. And we're all different. But we've got to learn to work together. That's what Nehemiah is all about. We've got to be, even though we have differences, we must learn to work together. So the battle was inside, and Nehemiah worked on that, but there was also the continuing battle outside. Historically, listen to this. Historically, Jerusalem has been attacked through history 52 times. Captured and recaptured 44 times. Besieged 23 times. And absolutely destroyed twice. After 325 years of God prophesying by his prophets to the Israelite people about judgment on idolatry, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians and they were carried, the people were carried away 1,125 kilometers. But their faithful God, our faithful God, 
brought back nearly 50,000 of them, and they came back in basically three different waves under Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah between the years of 538 BC and 445. During that time, there was not much work on the gates or on the temple, and one of the reasons was that Samaritans and other uh, cross-breeded tribes filled in the gulf around the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem laid waste with lots of rubbish. The walls, etc., never were touched. So there was this void. Then when the people of God came back, when God brings them back, we pick up the story right through the first five chapters and into the sixth chapter where they are of Nehemiah, where they are facing these constant accusations and constant threats from people. You and I do not live under that. We basically live, live pretty good lives. We're not under the threat and accusations that are constantly happening. Ezra chapter 4 and verse 1 says, The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard the exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. Verses 4 to 6. Then the local residents tried to discourage, frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. They went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted to King Darius of Persia, uh, who took the throne. Years later, when Xerxes began his reign, the enemies of Judah wrote a letter of accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Nehemiah is full of this whole continuation, Ezra and Nehemiah, right through into chapter 6, where these serial pests, Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem, keep, uh, keep trying to uh, uh, stop the work of God, hinder the work of God. Can I tell you, we are in a battle still. The work of God has to be propagated by people who are resilient against accusations and threats. If you quote something of Scripture these days, it's like, ouch. I stand for the Word of God. It's not my gospel. It's God's gospel. It's His good news. The other day, the, the boys couldn't help themselves at work. They had to uh, get a syndicate together for the um, $110 million Powerball thing. So they came to me and they said, are you going to go in this? And I said, no, <laughs> never going to, not going to. Well, you're going to be the last man standing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> well, when we're not here tomorrow because we win. You're going to be the only guy here. And I said, and? <laughs> so what happened the next day? They were all at work. <laughs> Threats. Trying to intimidate me to get in on their thing. I'm not going to do it. You and I, we're going to be faced at different times with serial pests in our life. People like Sambalat, Geshem and Tobiah, they're, they're coming out with all this stuff. Verse 1, it's chapter 6, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, the rest of the enemies found out that I was rebuilding the wall and, and that no gaps remained, though we had not set the doors in the gates. So Sambalat Geshem, sent a, and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one, at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. I realized they were plotting to harm me. Verse 13, 
they were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin, they would, uh, uh, then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. The story's never changed for the people of God. If we flick to the New Testament, Luke chapter 6, verse 22 says, Blessed are you when men hate you. Is that a pop- popular doctrine today? I don't know that Jesus' words would really be that popular in some churches today. Blessed are you, Grace Life, when men hate you. Brett Gaffney, when people hate your guts, well, you're blessed. Doesn't sound like real sound doctrine in some people's views. And they exclude you and revile you and cast you out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Then Jesus warned in Luke 6, 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Did you know the church is not supposed to be the most popular organization in society? Because if you stand up for the truth, it's going to hurt somebody or offend somebody or, or we're being descriptive. Matthew 5, 11 says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Have you ever been falsely accused? I don't like it. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not looking for trouble. I'm not looking to upset people. But it's going to naturally happen if I make a stand for Christ. Wherever I stand. John 15, 20 says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus, they will also persecute you. Why do we think we're going to get a free ride because we're Christians? Why do we think we're going to live in a bubble for the rest of our life and it's always going to be peace, joy and happiness? 1 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I'm sorry if I'm preaching false doctrine to you this morning, but this is the Bible. And you remember, if you've ever read history, the Roman Emperor Nero, he, was, he wasn't a nice guy. So Peter writes in Nero's time, 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised when people aren't happy with you because of your stand for Christ. The New Testament church faced huge battles, external strife, persecution, pursued by irate Jewish zealots. Eventually, the Roman Empire hunted and executed them. One lesson for you and I that I can take out of Nehemiah this morning is that the enemy's attacks will be persistent at times. The Lord has never promised to keep us out of the fire, but he did promise that he'd been there with you. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Deuteronomy 31.8, And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. That uh, promise is repeated in Hebrews 13.5, when Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Doing pretty good for time, aren't I? We're on to point three already. I want to finish with victory. I, I believe in, in, in victorious Christian life. It's not all doom and gloom. 
All right? It's not always about church fights and arguments. I mean, I've heard all sorts of stories over the years about how this is bad and how that's bad. You know what? I live a victorious Christian life in the face of those guys at work. Every time, right next to me is an old guy. Old guy. He's a year older than me. <laughs> this, he, I, He's been, he's been nicknamed um, uh, Sweet Cheeks by one of the girls there, but he's not sweet. Anyway, he, he, he grew up in a seven-day Adventist church. And so you just touch on anything to do with Christianity and he reacts because he wasn't allowed to watch TV, by golly, after Friday night, 6 o'clock, until Saturday evening, 6 o'clock, he wasn't allowed to watch TV. As though there was some huge problem with that, I said, and? Anyway, so he, he comes out with this stuff. So the moment someone asks me a question on the dock and he's anywhere in earshot, don't get him started, he says. <laughs> He'll start quoting that Bible. <laughs> I ask him sometimes, do you wonder why they ask me? There's a reason people actually, when I make a stand for Christ, there's a reason why people actually start to talk to me and I don't have to go around trying to look for opportunity to witness about Jesus. They actually see something in my life worth, that's worthwhile, that's something good. Victorious life, victorious Christian living. You and I are called to live victorious Christian lives that is an example to our community. They can tell we're Christians by what? Our love, yes, our love for people, our love for God. So the battle's won. And when I say the battle's won, in, in uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, it says on October 2nd, the war was finished just 52 days after we begun. Record time. And one of the points that I really want to emphasize this morning is biblical characters were not perfect, but they are inspirational. They still are. Nehemiah wasn't a perfect man. We're not putting him up on a pedestal and saying he's, he's the greatest guy that ever lived. But what we are saying is that he's an inspiration to you and I. The book of Nehemiah is worthwhile your time because you will be inspired to live for God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. I want to point out just a couple of inspirational aspects of Nehemiah's success. Number one. You cannot go past it. Pastor Josh emphasized it in his first sermon, but Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Believing that God could do miracles and equip and strengthen his people. That's what prayer was about for Nehemiah. Three times in the first four chapters, we have recorded incidences of him praying. Praying powerful words. Twice in chapter 6, in verse, verse 9, it says, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Short, sharp prayer. Faith-filled. God help me. God help me. Nehemiah 6 and verse 14, Remember, O God, the evil things that Tobiah and Sambalat have done, and remember Nodabiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who had tried to intimidate me. He doesn't pronounce judgment. 
He's not condemning them. He just says, remember them, Lord. I release them into your hands. You know, prayer is really good for releasing into God's hands those circumstances, those people who are serial pests in your life. That troubled supervisor you face at at difficult times. The various mind hassles that you have. You're not the only one that gets mind hassles. Nehemiah's relationship with God was was such that he felt comfortable to pray at any given time. Nehemiah was a man that was moved to pray, seeing the plight of his people and feeling the need of the hour. Secondly, he's an inspiration because he was a man that stood for something he believed in. Christians, can I ask you? Are you some, someone who stands up for what you believe in? Because despite the enemy's attack, uh, attacks to distract, discourage, and destroy, Nehemiah led the people by determination and discernment. He stood up when he needed to stand up. I'm a little bit on the slow on the uptake sometimes, so I see people go something happens and it's almost like I'm in a time warp. But I have noticed that there are people around me at different times who respond a lot quicker. And that response very often to help somebody who may have fainted or, excuse me, it might be somebody who falls over in the shops. I'm a little bit, it's almost like, what happened there? And I sit back and I look at why it happened rather than going over and helping the person. But one thing I want to do is I want to be able to respond with courage and conviction at the right time, at the right place. And what we read about Nehemiah is he did exactly that. Nehemiah 6 and verse 3. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I can't come, right? Then later in verse 9 he says, Then they were trying to intimidate us, imagining that we could be discouraged, uh, uh, that they could discourage us from, and stop the work. And then says, So I continued the work with even greater determination. Verse 11, but I, uh, but I replied, Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? Listen to this. No, I won't do it. Christian, are you a person of conviction? Nehemiah showed courage and conviction. Having convictions, what does that mean? It means a firmly held belief or an opinion. A position or stance on an issue. No, I'm not going to stop working to to talk to you guys. And no, I'm not going to hide in a temple. I find that inspirational. I find that here are these men, these people trying to dissuade and come against the children of God. But he says, no, it's not going to happen. Not on my watch. I find that incredibly challenging to me personally. Because there are times when I think, okay, what is such and such going to think about that? 
Nehemiah was more concerned what God thought than what others thought. Number three, Nehemiah was a man of discernment. Verse 10, and I came to the house of Shemiah, the son of Deliah. And verse 12, and behold, I understood that God had not sent him. God graced Nehemiah with discernment. If there's anything you should be praying about is, Lord, help me to make the right decisions at the right time, in the right place. Help me choose my battles. Help me choose my battles. Verse uh, number five, uh, sorry, number four is Nehemiah gave glory to God. Can I tell you, Christian, be careful to give God the glory for every good thing that happens in your life. Don't think that it's you. It's not your talent and ability. For a long time, I fell into a false sense of security because I had learned certain things. I thought I was pretty hot stuff. I thought, yeah, I can do this. No, I can't. Then I fall flat on my face and I say, help God. You've got to give God glory. Nehemiah 5.15 tells us, because, but because I feared God, I did not act this way. Because I feared God. I don't know if that's in the vocab of, of some Christians these days, that when you come to decision-making, your first understanding or your first thought is, do I fear God? Verse 16 of chapter 16 says, When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized the work had been done with the help of our God. Nehemiah said, it's all glory to God. It's God who does the work. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good purpose. It's the work of God in you. It's the reason your life is blessed today. It's not blessed because you know a lot of Scripture or you've been a, you can play a guitar and sing a song or you know how to lift your hands holy. It's because of the grace and love and the glory of God to the glory of God. I am what I am because of the grace of God. That's what Paul said. Perhaps one of the greatest Christians that ever lived wasn't perfect, but he was inspirational, just like Nehemiah. I am what I am because of the grace. Be careful to give God glory. And finally, he was a man of integrity and generosity. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. If his enemies could have found anything to have a go at him, they would have. He knew he was in the spotlight. Can I tell you, Christian, you are in the spotlight. People are watching you. Your friends, your relatives, they are watching you. It took, I think it took at least 10 years after my initial, when I first became a Christian in 1983, it was about 10 years later that my sister actually got saved. It took over 30 years for my dad. But they're all watching. People around you are watching. Your neighbours watch you. One of the frightening things um, about where we've moved into our house is my wife was in the backyard 
and she could hear me in one of the rooms uh, of our uh, of our of our house, and she was like, I, 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 I was dumbfounded that she could actually hear me. And the neighbours are right next door. There's only one little fence. They can hear me next door. I'm freaked out by that because <laughs> there's sometimes when I'm not picture perfect. When I lose the plot at the TV. <laughs> when my sporting team was getting flogged. <laughs> and someone said, that's regular. <laughs> but they hear everything. The, the guy on the other side, he, he, they hear us. People watch you. I'm inspired, I'm challenged, but I know my generosity. Just like 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 10, when, um, when um, uh, Cornelius' offerings came up as a memorial to God, there were angels, there was, heaven was watching his offering. Whatever you do in Christianity, whatever you live your life, people are watching. Live a life of integrity and generosity and it is a key to living in a successful way. The exampleship of Nehemiah needs to encourage us all. The battle of life will come. Battles will come. Whatever that looks like for each one of us, I aspire to respond just like Nehemiah. I aspire to respond just like Nehemiah. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.